Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at T-Mobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. The Season with Peter Schrager is a production of the NFL in partnership with iHeartRadio. What's up, everybody? This is Peter Schrager. This is The Season with Peter Schrager. And it is the third Tuesday in May uh, when we're recording this. And I'll tell you, usually this is like the dark, dead time of the NFL offseason. Anything but. I'm joined here by my producer, Aaron Wong-Kaufman. Aaron, the, the league meeting is going on right now, and it is not the one in March. It's the one in May. And usually the one in March is where all the big news comes out. But yesterday, there was a few news items that I'm going to run through with the listeners, and I want to get your thoughts on one of them. Um, first off, the Super Bowl uh, in a few years, the next site is going to be in San Francisco, Santa Clara. It's going to be at Levi's Stadium. That's Super Bowl 60. So that's one piece of news. Number two, the draft, which has been a great sensation for so many of these host cities that aren't getting Super Bowls in the near future. Uh, next year's is in Detroit. That's been decided already. The following year has been announced that it's going to be in Green Bay. Interesting. Let me get your thoughts as someone who just got back from Kansas City for the draft. Green Bay, let's see, 300,000 people came to Kansas City for the draft. There are 100,000 residents of Green Bay. There are not a ton of hotel options, and yet it is a football mecca. Your reaction to Green Bay as the choice for the NFL for the draft? Well, as someone who went to school in Minnesota and loves the Midwest, I am all for, like, these smaller Midwest cities getting time to charm people. So I'm, I'm all about it. I think it'll be, uh, it'll be a lot of people in a smaller yeah. city though. I've been to green Bay several times for Packers games. You drive up and similar to Buffalo, but maybe even more, it's a, it's a town. It is an intimate setting in that there are people's homes, just a stone's throw from Lambeau field. Um, there's not a ton of, you know, Modern hotels where you're not, there's no four seasons in Green Bay and there's no slew of chains. I'm curious how they're going to do all that. Um, but I also know Peter O'Reilly, who runs the events for the NFL, uh, has so many ideas and the league would not put their full strength behind something if they thought it was going to be a logistical nightmare. They will figure it out. All right. The controversial news that came out late Monday night. And at this point, in you know, the NFL news cycle, there's few things that are controversial or that are, sh that are, you know, even debated amongst the owners when it comes to like, let's take a vote for it. And it comes of all things, Thursday night flex scheduling. All right. Here's what it is. In short, Amazon had this great first year. They put a great effort in. 
Um, they pay a ton of money and Amazon was not assured any late games of the season that are going to be, you know, total hits. You look at the schedule right now, weeks 13 to 17 are all good matchups. They include New England and Pittsburgh. They include, uh, you know, a Jets-Browns game. They include big teams. And yet th- there was no assurance that these games were going to matter late. For them paying that money and for the quality of the the product on television, for the viewers at home, the discussion began really during the season and kind of bubbled up in March where they tabled it. Should Amazon and the league have the right to get flex scheduling rules like we see on Sunday night football and Monday night football for those Thursday night matchups? And they needed 24 votes. They didn't have those 24 votes. It was tabled until May, back in March. And John Mara, the owner of the Giants, came out staunchly against it. On his premise being, it's for you know the fans who pay money to go see a game on a Sunday. You buy four tickets. You sometimes get a hotel if it's out of town. You invest your entire Sunday plan based on a schedule release that happened last week. And then you find out that, wait a second, that game's not on a Sunday. And it's not being flexed to the nighttime, which... Although an inconvenience, you can adjust. Maybe you have to buy a new flight the next morning, whatever it is. No, this game is going to be 72 hours earlier. It's going to actually be on Thursday night. Now, Mara was very outspoken about it. I saw Mark Davis was outspoken about it, against it. Quietly, there were a lot of people who were for it, saying, hey, this is good for the product of the game. Uh, the NBA doesn't have a set scheduled time until a day out. People seem to make it uh, work. College football, you know who you're playing and where. You don't know when the time of those games are, and we're a couple months from the start of the season. That's been some of the arguments. The argument that really struck me, though, is what Jerry Jones said in a public comment and said that only 7% of the NFL's fans are ever going to step into an NFL stadium. And that 93% of NFL fans are watching at home. So whether we we want to dismiss the fan that pays for the season tickets, all that, and the owners would swear up and down and the league would swear up and down, and I'm, I, I agree, they don't want to inconvenience anyone. The best product possible on that TV and the best game possible might benefit the fans more from a greater greater whole. I'm not making that argument. I, I thought it was really interesting that, you know, one of the key votes was Denver and that's uh, the Penner family. And Greg Penner, the new owner of the Broncos, was kind of wavering and, you know, where are we going to go with this thing? And at the end of the day, it's the Walmart family that votes yes to assure the Amazon family gets this incredible Thursday night deal. Now, here's part of the stuff that made sure it happened. A, and this is big, 28 days in advance, the teams are going to be notified. So this isn't Sunday night football where 10 days out, you're like, you're going to be playing uh, a night game and figure it out. 28 days. I would think the schedule makers are going to be really, really you know, conservative and saying that game is irrelevant four weeks out, especially with all those different games. And I don't have them up now, but they're all good games. Um on paper in in May. You know, I don't think that's going to be something where they're going to be rushing to make a change. Second part of it, from what I hear, and these come from sources and you can aggregate this and do whatever you want, like the Sunday night requirements are going to be one thing. The Monday night requirements to flex a game from Sunday to Monday are going to be a little harder. And I'm told that the Sunday flex to Thursday these two teams better be basically winless or have five wins or it just must be a complete 
complete bomb of a game. And one of the games people are circling are that is a Rams Saints game. And it's in LA and it's New Orleans comes to the Rams. And they're like, well, that, there's a chance both those teams stink next year. And there's a chance that game's flexed out. But mind, mind this. Worth noting, that's Christmas weekend. Are you really going to be so occupied? You got to flex out of a Christmas weekend Thursday night game and change all these fans. Is the NFL going to say, yeah, no Saints fans. You bought this ticket for Thursday, but actually that game's on a Sunday in LA. You got to figure it out. Uh, Sorry. I don't know. Um, And the other part of it is the Chargers have a Saturday night game that weekend, I believe against the Buffalo Bills that's already being played. Yeah, are you really going to flex a game out from Thursday night and say the Chargers are going to play on Saturday night and the Rams are going to play on Sunday? Highly unlikely. So the thresholds and the barriers are different and they're stacked differently for Sunday night flex from a Sunday game, from a Sunday flex to a Monday game, from a Sunday game to a Thursday night game. I'll be honest, we're here in, in May If there's more than one, I'd be shocked. Aaron, your thoughts on the Thursday night deal? And we didn't even get into the player safety and some of the real concerns there. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the games right now. So just going from week 13 on, we have Seahawks at Cowboys. That should be a great game. They're not flexing the Cowboys. Sorry, I'm drinking my coffee. They're not ever flexing the Cowboys. Amazon is not like, oh yeah, take the Cowboys away. Go on. Like you said, week 14 is Pats at Steelers. There's, I could see that being a really exciting game, especially... Steelers, national brand, Belichick, face of the league. They're never going to, well, I shouldn't say never, doubtful. Go on. Week 15, Chargers at Raiders. That seems like two teams that will be somewhat relevant and be competing for, you know, seeding. Justin Herbert and the Chargers, six different primetime games. The NFL is banking on that team being a, a big game. And, you know, again, Amazon, do they say, we don't want Justin Herbert, yeah. give us someone else? No, I don't see it. 16 is that Saints at Rams game you were talking about. And then 17 is Jets-Browns. And that's another game that could have huge playoff implications. So, I mean, I think it's good in the sense that, hey, if, uh, if Aaron Rodgers, God forbid, gets hurt and has to miss the entire season, yeah, maybe then things will be different. But I, 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 I'm not looking at any of these Thursday night football games like I don't want to watch that. So these all look good. I don't think it's it's as big of a deal as as you know the media is making it out to be right now. And the same people, and this is my here's my you know my moment. I I know I work for the Shield, but the same people who and moan about the you know this game sucks. Why is this Why is this on? Why am I watching this? You know, are going to be the same people that say, well, you can't do flex, so just take it for what it's worth and let's see, let's see it for a year, and it's only a one year deal. And it might be a colossal disaster and they might flex out one of these games and then one of the teams isn't prepared and they're knocked out of the playoffs because of injuries and whoever knows and 28 days in advance and they were playing Thursday and Sunday uh, and it was just too much, quick of a turnaround from Sunday to Thursday. I get it. All that stuff's real. That's why eight teams voted against it. And that's why everyone's up in arms. But I would say... um, Let's give it a year and let's see and realize that, you know, the media... Partners, they pay a lot of money. And it sounds like, you know, for the better of the entertainment product on the on the couch as opposed to the fans in the stadium, um, that tipped the scales. Real quick, before we get to our guest, which is a different kind of guest for us, and I'm curious to see how it goes, uh, I, I wanted to talk real quick about the biggest sensation right now in football stadiums around the country. And uh, I'm not talking about OTAs, and I'm not talking about... 
this Taylor Swift thing is legit, man. Like I said before we got on air and we've got our, our friend Jason English from iHeart here as well. And Aaron, I have never, never in all my years working for the NFL gotten so many texts from friends in the industry, outside the industry, got one from a guy who, you know, knows me sort of way not close enough to even ask this. Hey, bro, I know you're tight with the Jets. I know you're tight with the Giants. Bro, I know you work for the NFL. I'm sure there's a sweet, I'm sure that, is there any way to get tickets to these Taylor Swift concerts? I did not see this coming. I did, maybe I'm just, it's a gap in my pop culture knowledge. I had no idea Taylor Swift is as huge as she is to the fact that I'm not talking one friend, two friends. I'm talking best friends who know, who do not ask me for Super Bowl tickets. They don't ask me for Giants Raiders in the middle of September where they would love to take their son because it's just too big of an ask and it's weird. The text always started this. I know it's a long shot and I feel awful asking, but do you have any help? The answer is I don't. I have made calls. I called Robert Sala. I called Joe Shane. I called uh, the PR guy from the Jets, Eric Gelfand. I've called several people just to see, hey, everyone's willing to pay face value, probably more. And the answer is a hearty laugh from all of them. There is nothing we can do. And it's not because they, they don't have hookups to tickets. They're all spoken for. Aaron, did you have any idea Taylor Swift is the sensation that she is? And there's been trends pieces about the dads wearing all this stuff, and it's it's become a whole thing. Every weekend at a different football stadium, MetLife is Memorial Day weekend, and I am 0 for 20 with friends asking me for tickets. What do you say? Yeah, I mean, she's beyond huge. Like, uh, no one else, I think, really at this point could have a tour like that. Um, I have friends who went through the whole ticket pre-sale fiasco where they were trying to sign up and use credit card, signed up for a credit card to get early access and didn't get the ticket still and now have this credit card. And I personally am not like a huge Taylor Swift fan. Like, Are you apathetic or like not a fan? Like to the point where I know all her songs, like I just wouldn't buy a ticket or are you like, I don't know if you want to upset, like there's the beehive with Beyonce. Like, are yeah. we doing this? So are, I personally, you're like, I'm team she, scooter. I, I just, no. I can't go. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, she has some really great pop songs. I think I don't like her lyrics generally. Like she has a song where she rhymes cardigan and car again. And I think that's lazy. Um, she has incredible pop songs. She's worked with some incredible artists and there are songs of hers that I love, but I'm not like, oh, every single song I love, love, love. So yeah. I think I was starting off because I imagined, you know, okay, Beyonce's on tour. Everyone goes and sees it. I would think like Lady Gaga's on tour. Everyone goes and sees it. And then you got like your old heads, like Bruce is at the, you know, we're going, everyone's going to see Springsteen or even Dave Matthews. Too. I guess that's really dating me, Dave Matthews. But I've never in my life seen something like this Taylor Swift thing. So, Taylor, if you're listening to this season with Peter Schrager, you're welcome to be a guest. Uh, Aaron will call in sick that day. Yeah. We'll fill in for a different <laughs> producer. I appreciate your music. I think you're pretty good. I dig it. I think you're fine. I like it. So I won't be going to the concert and none, nowhere will any of my friends who asked for tickets because I couldn't hook them up and I feel kind of bad about that. Aaron, our guest, I'm super excited. Uh, one of my favorite comedians, one of my favorite actors in the many shows and movies he's been in, but I don't know him. I don't know if he likes football. I don't know if he knows who I am. And that makes for really good, spontaneous podcasting. 
actor-comedian David Cross is up next. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at T-Mobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. All right, as I mentioned in the monologue, huge fan of this guy, um, have long been just an admirer from afar. And when Aaron and Jason, we got to the offseason of the NFL season, and said, let's have a lot more guests who aren't necessarily NFL coaches or players, general managers. Who do you want? And I said, I want XYZ. And one of the names was David Cross, who I have just, I just am a huge fan of. And sure enough, we I was blown away. We got an email response back saying, um, yeah, David Cross is going to join you. Uh, Guys, actor, comedian, a longtime uh, guy who's been entertaining you for years. David Cross, welcome to the Peter Schrager, the season with Peter Schrager podcast. Thank you. Um, yeah, usually it's actor, comedian, bon vivant. So if you <laughs> want to add that, maybe go back and, you know. I, I think that's what I ultimately want to do with my life. Yeah. Like, I want to be able to say bon And what, is, what do you think? It's just lunch, see a show at night. Just go to a gallery. Like, what do you? What is the the life of a bon vivant? You think? You know, it's a lot of air ballooning, and it's a lot <laughs> of uh, charity work for uh, animals with only three legs. And uh, you know, I'm I'm uh, really deeply ensconced in the fashion industry. I do uh, just cuffs. I do a lot of different cuffs, and I only do cuffs. Um, and it's just all kind. Of, it's it's crazy. It's all over the place. But you know, it's a it's a, a tough but enriching lifestyle. <laughs> it is. It's good. Yeah. Uh, look, I, your career it goes through obviously Arrested Development and and your stand up career. But I started with Mr. Show, and that's where I think I, you know Saturday Night Live was always there. But then when Mr. Show came with you and Bob Odenkirk, it totally broke the mold. And I think anyone who's a fan of comedy and comedians today, especially in the sketch world, will point to that as you know such a groundbreaker. Um, do you still get that on? I mean, do you do you get that being stopped for you? Like, do people still stop you, Mr. Show? Or now we're so many years removed where they've they, you don't get that as much oh, as you no, used to. Sure, like I mean, it's you know, it's all over the place. Some people have no idea about Mr. Show, don't know, don't even know it existed. 
but they know me from these other things and other people know Mr. Show, but don't know the other things. So it all depends, but I still definitely get a lot and I'm on tour uh, uh, currently. And so meet a lot of people who are bringing in kind of Mr. Show mementos. Yeah. Minutia that, uh, or what, um, ephemera, I guess is the right word. Uh, <laughs> things that I've forgotten all about, like, okay, can you sign this, you know, weird hockey stick model thing I made. It's from the, whatever sketch i'm like i don't remember that. Well, <laughs> sign it bring it over uh you know i listened to odenkirk had his his memoir that came out last year I listened to the audiobook and i i loved it and he takes us through the origin of that show and and this like hbo and them taking a risk on you guys can you take us through it from your your lens like here you guys are obviously established sketch guys and you've got different paths, but to come together and be given that kind of platform on HBO at that age, what was it like? Well, I mean, it was uh, amazing and life altering. And uh, I was not nearly as established as Bob was. I Bob was on SNL briefly and then he was uh, a, a big part of the Ben Stiller show as an actor and a writer, but I was just a writer and I was brought on midway through and and Bob and I started working together, just doing shows in L.A., just, you know, with our friends, for our friends, with no – we didn't have an eye towards the future. Bob did eventually more than I did. I was still like, well, let's get drunk and have fun. And uh, <laughs> um, and Bob was more focused. And, and, um, and then we were doing these shows, and they were clearly very, very – successful immediately like people in the audience really liked them and it started to become a thing where it was a, a felt like an event like you wanted to go to these shows when we put them on and and then bob through his uh manager bernie brillstein we started bringing you know and also there was a little bit of buzz so abc yeah. is there and hbo's coming and set the stage for us it's like one of these like small clubs like i know that luna lounge is like a big thing that everyone talks about like is it like one of those like small cafes and you guys are doing a little underground and then all of a sudden why is lauren michaels in the crowd like that kind of deal it's even better than that it was uh <laughs> it was this place on sunset uh right off of uh la brea called the diamond club and it was it, okay. it was this cheesy like super cheesy Hollywood club where, you know, it's like half tourist people or people who had just moved to LA who were, were way too much makeup and cologne and stuff. And then half like Russian and Eastern European and Armenian dudes and <laughs> like, wait, you know, just that kind of crowd. And, and then, so there's this club, right? It's like a disco dance club. And in the back, like if you walk through this thing while everybody's dancing, whatever, there's a side room and uh, and it probably had a little stage. And I think it held, I'm going to guess at the most, it held maybe 120 people at tops. And that's where we started doing these shows. There's a, a, a guy named Dave Rath who was um, now he's a huge big time manager, but he was a huge fan of comedy and, and very helpful and, and uh, uh, manager at the time uh, for all kinds of like people that are very famous now that um, and most of the people in that scene. And we, as I said, we were just doing shows with each other for each other. And we would all have a different night. And, you know, we were a very tight group and, you know, it had, 
there was everybody from, and a lot of musicians too. So like Maynard Keenan and, and Jack Black would be hanging out and, and we all used, played with each other, you know? And, and so that's, it was just a weird, because oh, you had to go through that other club. Yeah, the Eastern European uh, nightclub. A little room in the back, and it was it was really it was really funny, but it was cool, you know. And it was like a cheap. We got a space, and we just did these shows. And you put these shows on, and we've had Paul Rudd on this podcast, and I've gotten to know him just living in the neighborhood. And he talks like with great lore about those years in LA, and like going into being told, "Hey, Tenacious D are performing at this place at this time," and like just the entire. Everyone who was anyone would be there. And it was like, you're going to see it. That was kind of the the buzz around Mr. Show as well. And then HBO says, we're going to give you guys a program. Like, mm-hmm. What was that like? We're going to go and do this on for, in the home box office after, you know, whatever show was on before you. I don't know, Sex in the City or Dream On, whatever else was on at the time. Think, you know what? I think it was Dream On. <laughs> Brian Ben Ben. It was, uh, <laughs> yeah, there wasn't a whole lot back then. And we were part of their, you know, the comedy block with, uh, Chris Rock and there's some other stuff. Uh, and they said to us, they were very specific about, uh, we, we don't want TV. We don't want regular stuff. That's going to be, we don't want SNL. And we were not interested in that kind of thing at all. And, uh, and they encouraged us to, to, you know, uh, do what you want to do. And we, in four years, we only got one note that we had to take kind of a standards and practices note. That was it. And, uh, they were very, uh, I mean, there's a completely new regime there now, but the people that we were working with that ushered us in were, uh, really helpful, really amenable. And, and again, I mean, it was a cheap show to make. I mean, we, they, yeah. we barely got anything and we made it look better than it actually should have looked for the budget we had. And, um, and you know, we were what Friday at 1230 in the morning or something like that. So it wasn't, we didn't have to do much to attain success for that kind of slot at that time with that budget. And, you know, we were critically successful, uh, and that's kind of all they wanted. So it was a good deal. And, uh, yeah, it was great. And, you know, the Arrested Development gig, the story that is like urban legend or maybe true, you can confirm it, is that you were dating a young woman and you got this audition out in L.A. And you said, I'll go for one day, but this girl's in New York. I'm not going to be moving my life out to L.A. I'll try out for Arrested Development. I'll just do it, see where it goes. You get the job and uh, the rest is history. Tell us really the story and what really went down. And when you walked into is – that, is that accurate or no? It was – so I the the – context to it was I had been in LA for nine and a half years. I moved there from Boston and my joke, which was based in truth was like, I moved to LA to make enough money to move away from LA, (laughs) you know, which is, I I eventually after uh, being there for nine and a half years and I had a, a bit of a a pause in work. And I realized, cause I'd been saying for years, like, I want to get out of here. I want to go to New yeah. York. And I had this break where I had nothing coming up. And I was like, I don't leave right now. I'm going to wait here another month and then another job will come and I'll be here for another two years. So I took this opportunity and moved to, and I didn't have a lot of possessions. I, I, I still don't, I never did, but uh, I moved, put all the stuff in a, one of those little U-Haul things, yeah. moved to New York, had a, great time uh being in new york <laughs> and uh 
and doing stand-up and stuff. And then I met this woman who uh, we had a, a, a really good relationship and uh, it eventually lasted for like three and a half years. We're still friends and uh, our kids play together. But, um, you know, we were in the in the midst of it and I got an offer for Arrested Development and I didn't even look at the script. I wasn't interested. I was like, there's no way. I'm- no audition, nothing. They offer it. You yeah, straight yeah. up. Mitch Hurwitz is like, you're our guy. Initially, they wanted me to look at Job. And I and I read the script and I did not have a handle on Job at all. And once you see Will Arnett, Arnett yeah, oh, it's, oh, a, it's born to be him, yeah. And I did not have a handle on it. But Tobias, who was meant <laughs> to be a, uh, you know, uh, part-time uh, I'm forgetting the whatever the phrase is, you know, but uh, not not a full time cast guest star. Yes, yeah, like a you know <laughs> six out of eighteen episodes kind of thing, yeah. which already was appealing. Like, oh, I'll just fly to L.A., knock one in one or two episodes out, and go home. But also beyond that, I just immediately knew who that character was, and um, and had a sense for it. And I said, "Can I?" And I was talking to Bitch for Wits and. The Russo brothers, the directors, we were talking on the phone because I said, I'm, I'm not, I don't, you know, I'll do it if it's part-time. I, I just can't. And they were like, yeah, that's great. He, that's meant to be part-time. And, uh, and then I came out to shoot the pilot, which was, you know, you always take longer to shoot the pilot. And that was probably like a 10-day shoot. And, and I realized around the third day that it's really something special. This is just from the pilot and the, the cast was amazing. The dialogue was great. The direct, it was fun. They let us play around and improvise. And I called my girlfriend from the, uh, little bridge, uh, thing that's in the Beverly. What's across from the Beverly center, the Beverly connection, right? Across the street is the smaller one. I was up on this little bridge thing and I called her and I was like, Hey, so, Good news, bad news. Um, and I basically said, I have to do this. Yeah. Show. And, you know, it's really special. And and so, I, yeah, I think I can speak for everybody that we all felt that thing when we were shooting it. Like, this is something special. I mean, such a cool cast. And obviously, Sarah is a kid at the time. And, yeah. you know, you got obviously Baton and Arnett and all of them go through it. It's every story you hear, and I know that Bateman obviously has the Smart List podcast where he talks about it often with Arnett. It's like, it seems like it was just a really fun time and you guys had a blast. And isn't that the best working environment you could possibly imagine? Just a fun experience working? That's, oh, that's, sure. that's the best. And I'm, I'm at the place and, I'm, and I even before I was at the place, I guess I just always had the attitude. I do not want to work on anything that's not fun, you know, yeah. unless it's going to pay a crazy amount of money. But my whole it, life is too short. I just want to have fun. I want to be able to play around and be in a, a, a set that is there's laughter and joy. And that set always had, you know, we were, there was a lot of laughs, a lot of laughs on that. And it was a really fun privilege that a lot of actors don't get to have, you know. And look at that show. And again, now you've got Mr. Show and you've got Arrested Development. You're stacking these huge hit shows that everyone loves. Cult favorite, one of them. The other one is a massive mainstream favorite, all this stuff. And yet you're, you're still on the road and you still do the stand-up comedy and you're on tour right now. And I'm sure the audience comes for all of it and they come from all the corners. But the life on the road, I mean, you've got your father. Like it is, it is a grind and yet 
you're still doing it. Do you have a passion for it? Or is this one of those things where you're like, it's just in my blood that I've got to be on the road. It's just what I do. I'm a stand-up comedian. It's, I mean, it's both. It's, uh, it's, I had this, uh, revelation not too long ago that I was talking to my wife about it. Like I realized I'm, I do all, all these things. I do, I, I write, I act, I produce, I direct, I, I do stand up, but I, I realized like, Oh, I'm a, I'm a stand up. Those other things are fun things to do, but I'm, I think it, I felt it when I had to cancel the last tour that I was going to do because of COVID and I had, the set was all ready and I was looking forward to going out and, uh, and then had to cancel it. And it, and it hit me more than I expected it to. It was, uh, it was really disappointing, really. And I miss it. And I, uh, and I'm out on the road now. And as you said, it's a grind and it, it kinda, is. you know, I used to go out and I'd have the whole family or before I had a, a daughter, just go out and have a tour bus. And it was easy. And because my daughter's in school and I want to be here as much as I can, I basically am going out, you know, three or four days and then I'm home for three or four days and I'm out for the weekends and, you know, Thursday through Sunday, whatever. And it's, it's hard because you just got to, so you're either in a car for six hours right oh, the next gig the next morning, or you're getting up and you're in a small airport making a connector through Charlotte to get to Omaha or whatever. And, and that part is a grind. And, you know, I do an hour and a half and, and then I'm doing these meet and greets later. So I'm wiped by the end. I, yeah. I drink a lot. I can't. <laughs> Not in an alcoholic way. I just in a. I can't stop drinking. Um, so uh, yeah, it's it is a grind, but I love it. I love I love this set I'm doing now. It's uh, probably my favorite set I've done in a long time. And what we've done like forty two shows, I think, and we've got another thirty five or so. I'm going to take the summer off, but then I'm back in September and October, and I'll go to Europe for a little bit and. Uh, it's the thing that if we lived in some weird world where they're like, you can't do pick one thing. You had to pick one thing it would definitely be stand up. Let me ask you as a stand up for many years without kids and without children. And would you ever roll your eyes at like, here's my parenting set or here's my bit on kids, youth sports. And then now it's like, Oh no, no, I totally get it. And like, that is where I'm going with this stuff. Cause everyone can relate to it. Oh, I'm, I mean, I, I I would only roll my eyes at like an hour of that. I hate those those things. Of like yep. I I would the idea of like an evening of comedy about being a parent is uh, that sounds awful. Um, and I have you know I have plenty of jokes or bits or observations about having a kid that I well I have because I have a kid. But I mean that's probably no more than 30% of my set. And it's really about other yeah. things. It's not about simply like, no. my kid did this thing and da da da. <laughs> it's really about uh, the things around it, you know? This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. 
The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features, like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at T-Mobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. You grew up in Georgia? Yeah. Football allegiances, college and pro would be what? Um, well, pro is the Falcons, of course. Uh, okay. I was going to, I was going to, I know this isn't, uh, this is just audio, but I was going to wear my one-off limited edition Falcons. Steve Barkowski, who are we rolling with? What do we got? What, no, what, what era? Ryan. What are we talking? Um, Matt Ryan. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, he was not the, the issue with that team. And it's true. It's, he wasn't. And I really, I got in a lot of arguments. Yeah, I was a big Steve Barkowski fan. You know, there hasn't been a whole lot to be excited about as a Falcons fan, but cautiously optimistic about the coming years, you know, yeah. we'll see how Desmond does. And, uh, you know, yeah, we'll see. It's cool. Like the Falcons fandom is like, you've had this, you had the Super Bowl year in 99 where it's kind of out of nowhere and it was a dirty bird and all that. Mm-hmm. And then in 2016 with Matt Ryan, he goes and wins the MVP. And obviously the Super Bowl goes as it goes. We don't have to go down that road. It's funny you say Matt Ryan, he just retired or he's taking a job at CBS. He might come back. He's going to be an announcer. And we had a debate on our morning show on NFL Network. Is Matt Ryan underappreciated? In my case, he's been wildly underappreciated because the first thing out of everyone's mouth is 28-3, how he lost Super Bowl. Not the fact he was an MVP and a starting quarterback in the league for 15 straight years. One of the hardest things to do is durability. He didn't lose the Super Bowl. The choice to pass lost the Super Bowl. The the head coaching lost. Defense, uh, I mean, it's a team sport. But I I would totally blame... The coaching on that. I mean, that was crazy. We all sat there going, what the f***? And <laughs> yeah, that's not Matt Ryan's fault. And uh, the only knock I can give Matt Ryan is he's, he's you know, not very mobile, right? And sure. uh, and in this, in the, in the, certainly the latter half of his career, that there was a shift to that kind of quarterback and offense. And um it was like uh, he straddled two generations in a way. Uh, but again, like I said, he was not the problem or certainly not the sole problem of that team. And getting rid of him for uh, Marcus Mariota is like, well, okay, what did you, why? What, what are you doing? Yeah. And you didn't get anything. 
No, it's, it's celebrated. Oh, yeah, I, I mean, he's he's underappreciated, certainly in that context, you know. Yeah. Did you have college football? I know it's huge college football town. You were what, Roswell, Georgia is where you're from? Yeah. I mean, I didn't, uh, uh, I wanted to go to UGA and all my friends went to UGA after high school, but um, I wasn't accepted there. It actually became the premise of a Mr. Show bit. Um, okay. That's a real thing. The guy, this guy, Mo Phelps, who's uh, dead, but um, he was the dean of admissions. And this whole thing became a Mr. Show bit where we quote him for real, what he told me about going to UGA and because uh, I drove up there to have it. What did he say? Uh, he asked me what, uh, and this is after, you know, they won the Sugar Bowl, uh, there were the championship with uh, Herschel Walker and everything. Yeah. And he's like, you know, what did, what do you want to major in? And I said, acting. And he said, acting. He's just old Southern, just, you know, the old Southern, good old boy, after a ball and a short sleeve, uh, uh, polyester shirt, you know, and he's, and he goes, uh, uh, what's acting, but just, uh. Uh, jumping up and down on stage and yelling and screaming a lot. And, you know, what I... And I just drove up there, you know, and this is before <laughs> Athens was all connected, yeah. uh, accessible. You had to go through these small towns and everything to get there and pain in the ass. And, um, and I just, I was like, I don't, I don't know what to say to that. Uh, there's no... I mean, I could say a logical response, but it's what kind of conversation are we going to have? <laughs> okay. I was like, okay. Um, Did you start listing actors? Like, there's this guy, Marlon Brando, no, you know, Charlton I mean, Heston. Was, like, these are great. It yeah. was clear that this was kind of a futile <laughs> thing. And uh, and I, was, I just sort of, we had another probably five five minutes of talking. Thank you very much. Please consider my application. And, uh, and then I left, I was like, well, I'm, they're not going to take me. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> ended up taking a year off and then going to school in Boston, which was, uh, just as well. Yeah, it worked out. Uh, a couple more things. And one of the deals, it's not like a fun topic, but for our listeners who follow the NFL, like the writer strike is going on right now. I saw you were out there on the front lines. It's just top line. If you were someone to say, Hey, give me the the, the the main points of this, of where the writers are coming from. And I know you've been obviously, you're not the voice of the Writers Union by any chance or the Writers Guild, but just so that we know if the viewers are like, where the hell are my favorite shows in the fall, what you guys are fighting for? Yeah, I mean, uh, very simply put, just uh, fairness. Uh, fair. Uh, a lot of this is not about, hey, I want, you know, uh, $100 an hour. It's really it's it's much like the last uh, strike in two thousand eight. It's about new technology and new things that have come up since the last uh, negotiation that nobody had planned for. The last time it was about DVDs. Like, are you, are writers going to be compensated since all the, their work is coming out on DVD? You know, akin to actors' residuals. You know, and and uh, this time a big part of it is about AI and making sure that writers aren't replaced by robots. And it's, it's just about uh, fairness, not necessarily right now, but before what we are looking for in the future, which has always been, it's uh, 100% of the time, you have to anticipate what is going to happen 10 years from now and be prepared for it and be compensated and, um, and just uh, fair. It's just 
I can't make it any more simple than saying it's about fairness. It's about paying. Without writers, there's no show. All right. And I don't care how many computers you get. You're not going to write, you know, Succession and Better Call Saul and Arrested Development and Severance and all these, you know, uh, Breaking Bad and Sopranos and all these shows aren't going to be written by computers, you know, and, uh, and you don't have those things without the writer. And the writer is like the, the, has always been like the least kind of celebrated, but arguably the most important part. Nothing exists without the concept and the idea and the story and the dialogue and all that. And, uh, and, you know, we've never been compensated correctly. And this strike is just about getting to the bare minimum of fairness and and these studios and the streamers and the producers have literally hundreds of billions of dollars and they're not willing to it's it's the it's the age-old problem and um and so really it's it's about the future it's not about right now it's not about we want you know a mansion and it's not about that it's about protecting ourselves for what is going to happen two four six eight years from now it's chilling because you say the ai thing and i think a lot of people who aren't in the room are there like hey, robot they're not gonna and the response from the studios apparently whatever their union is was we'll revisit it once a year and you're like whoa like yeah. That's not a, you know, and that's a chilling response that let it, that's scary. The other part is I was listening to a different podcast and Danny McBride was on it yesterday. And he said, just out of curiosity, he was like, chat GPT, make a righteous gemstone script. And he's like, and it sucked. He's like, it sucked. And it really sucked. And just so you know, it, the quality will not be what you want it to be. It's not not even going to be close. Come on. It's not, it's it. And you know, it's so, yes, it's about protecting ourselves from that because the studio, I mean, look, this is a free market capitalistic society. They're going to throw stuff out there. It's why we have so much reality TV is because of the 2008 strike and mm-hmm. it's way cheaper to produce and you wouldn't have, you know, 19 versions of uh, Vanderpump. Love or, Island yeah. or Vanderpump. Yeah, or Housewives. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, that may be satisfying and entertaining for some people, but other people want a story, you know, and uh, as I said, chat AI is not going to do it. You and your wife are both actors. You guys are so in the thick of it. Like, do you guys still find time to watch other shows? Like, oh, when, yeah. is there in your like you're like successions tonight? Like we're watching. Yes, we, we are. Uh, uh, my wife has to catch up from last week's. Uh, okay. We'll watch tonight. We'll watch the last two. But uh Succession, for sure. Uh, I just did uh, season four of The Umbrella Academy. Oh, cool. Uh, which uh, I had, I was familiar with as like a cultural thing, but I didn't, I'd never seen it. I knew people loved it. I knew uh, that it was popular, you know. And um, so I, I started watching it and like both my wife and I became hooked and we're all caught up now. And then uh, I got my sister hooked on it. My mom who's 85. You know, so, so we binge watched that. We watched, uh, we watched succession severance waiting patiently for that. Wow. Patient. That, if that's your boy Stiller, tell him like, bro, like at some point, like we, okay, like let's go. Well, the, the writer strike affected them too, you know? Uh, yeah. Um, but they're all pro writer. All these 
you know, almost everybody is pro on the writer side. Um, yeah. And, uh, oh, and Top Chef, big Top Chef fan. Really? Big Top Chef fan, yeah. Love it. All right, my last one. You've been asked about it before. I heard you with Mark Marin years ago, and I like loved the conversation on it. And I'm telling you, I have Disney Plus. It was height of the pandemic. You're looking for something, bro. You might not want to talk on it. You know, Uh-oh. I f- love the Chipmunks movies, dude, and you're great in them, and you are clever and you're fun. And I don't know if you run away from that talk or not. No, no, I no. I mean, it was. Uh, uh... I'm you're great in them. You understand that, right? Like you're great. In them. <laughs> I, I, when I get hired for something, I will talk to the director, producer, whatever. And I assume and I bring it up. Like you guys are hiring me in part because I, I play around and I rewrite and I offer things up and I improvise and I assume that's what you want. And, uh, they were no different. And it was, it, it wasn't a uh, bad experience. It was just sort of an interesting thing. And everybody I worked with on the first two films were great. And then the third film was, um, I don't know why. I mean, I'll write about it. <laughs> tell me everything. I don't know this. So tell me. I just know. Honestly, I know the first one and I know the squeakquel. Those are my, those are my jams. Chipwrecked was, uh, <laughs> chipwrecked. Chipwrecked? I never saw chipwrecked. Yeah, that don't, don't. Um, it'd be weird if you did now that you, your kids are grown or whatever. <laughs> like, I'm just hanging out, honey. I'm just going to watch Chipwreck tonight. So what was the premise and plot? And what, what, tell me, take us through Chipwreck. I, I, it was uh, uh, my character. Well, first of all, <laughs> you watch it, know that there was this really blatant, gross uh, uh, product placement thing with Carnival Cruise Line. So it, it takes place, the whole thing, or most, most of it takes place on a Carnival Cruise, uh, in which the people that were on, the actual people that were on the Carnival Cruise did not know that we were going to be shutting down big sections of the cruise. Oh, you guys didn't rent out the cruise ship? You did it while the actual cruise was going on? Oh, yeah. And then I I had this slideshow that I made. I used to do this, uh, and it was called um, just uh, fantasy versus reality. So you would see I had tons of pictures of the extras and the the people who were acting, you know, like they took over like the water slide and the pool, the drinks. And there are these hot, like (laughs) 20-something, early 30s kids, and then – you just pan over to the real man. It was just, oh boy, it was like the worst of the worst of Florida, and uh, it was. I mean, it was really. It was pretty. Sick. How long was the shoot? I think we were on the boat for ten days. Uh, I think we were shooting for like seven of those days, and then there were we were stuck on there, and there was no. And, oh, and, they, and that was another thing they. <laughs> One of the first things you get in your room, which is tiny. I don't know if you've been on a cruise. Yeah, I've never been on a cruise. But there's uh, the, the first thing he has is little, we, we got these little packages from uh, production. Uh, there's no internet on the boat. Uh, and if you, Great. the ship to shore calls, if you need to make a call, it's like $90. Or <laughs> so, you know, you're, you're kind of on this boat, which from, from the outside, you're like, this is huge. This is massive. But only. Yeah half of that what you're looking at is accessible like the rest of it is 
the inner workings of the, the, <laughs> the ocean liner and the and all that stuff. So so it's it's way more cramped than you would might imagine. There's no and and if you're a guy like me who is one of those like hey are you famous like I get that a lot when I'm out you know people don't know who I am so you, and then. They recognize you, but they just, uh, what do I know you from? What are those? And then they just want to know, like, how do I know you from? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> and, uh, no, no, tell me. And so it was 10 days of that uh, where it's like, I, I just want, I just would like to get something to eat, not run through my uh, IMDb page. Um, uh, oh, I loved you in the 10. Yes. Let's talk about it. Let's go. Yes. You wish it was that. You wish it was that. Um, oh my gosh. All right. And then the movie wraps and you're like, I'm done with this. Or you did another one after that. No, I was contractually obligated to do three. So I did. That was my last one. That was, um, but they also treated me very poorly. I don't know why from the very beginning. It was, it was very strange. I was in London to do the second series of Todd Margaret and the increased decisions, Todd Margaret. I don't want to bore everybody with this. It's just uh, <laughs> we don't have to. I just, I just you know, and I'm producing this show. I'm I, I'm not just you're the guy. You're the you're producer. You're the actor. Yeah. Everything. With my, uh, the only reason I say that is to say that I was responsible for about sixty jobs. You know, yeah. uh, and we had been asking for at least a year whether I was going to be a part of the third thing because again I'm contractually obligated to do three. And they kept saying, no, I don't know. And they weren't very helpful or forthcoming. And then I will never forget this. As long as I live, I was, it was like Christmas and uh, we're going to start shooting in about, I want to say four weeks, maybe three weeks, Mm. three, four weeks. Scripts are done. Actors are hired. We're in pre-production. We're already, oh, we're, we have, uh, uh, you're in London. You're like, we're oh, I've been there for months and we're, mm. we've got, uh, sets being built and people are hired. And again, rough, you know, responsible for roughly 60 jobs. Uh, and you know, and a lot of these are uh, friends of mine. Now we've, we've been doing the show. We, we did the pilot and we did the first series and now we're getting ready to do the second. And I was at Harrods with my wife. And, uh, which is kind of one of our little Christmas traditions when we're in London, you go to the food hall, whatever we're there. Uh, my phone rings and it's, it says like the team or UTA team or whatever. And (laughs) I'm like, Oh, and I just had a bad feeling immediately. You knew like the agents are calling on Christmas. What is going on? And I answered the phone and (laughs) it's, and it's, uh, David, I have, uh, and they, she runs through my lawyer, my agent and my the whole team. So that's only good or bad news. And it's yeah. never anything in between. When You're either in a Marvel movie or something is happening. It's yeah. either really good news or really bad news. And then my manager says, where are you? And I explain. <sighs> he goes, okay, can you get somewhere? Can you sit down somewhere? Uh, mm. I know. I know what it is. <laughs> I know. What you do. It it's been looming in the back of your mind like there's a chance. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> It's it's a, it's a long boring story, Peter, and it, but it's uh, I, it, it's it was awful, and they were so unpleasant, and so weird. And, and then I get the script, of course. Oh, the other thing, I will just say this: so not only is the the movie going, they want me to be in Hawaii for rehearsals on uh, January third, and I'm like, I, can't, I you know, and my wife and I are going on this trip, right, to visit friends in uh, Southern Africa. 
Corps in the Peace Corps. <laughs> Southern Africa. Yeah, going to Southern in the Peace Corps. In, yeah. So we're gonna. Yeah. And um and I'm like I can't, I don't even get back. I would have to go. I can't even go get to Hawaii from London, and I have no clothes. I would have to go to New York, and stop in and get proper clothing. Uh, and I'm and I'm also like rehearsal. Are you? <laughs> what are we rehearsing? I'm with a bunch of animatronic. <laughs> and and then it became clear pretty quickly. They're just trying to screw. They're you. trying to screw. Yeah. And uh, there was this whole thing with the trailer. Like everybody <laughs> had a nice trailer, like a regular trailer, and I had this yeah, yeah. moldy, beat up, like RV <laughs> thing. On the on the ship or in Hawaii? No, no, in Hawaii. For the rehearsals for Chipmunks 3. And the guy's saying, like, that's all, you know, there's a lot of production in Hawaii. That's all. And it's just clear they're with me. And I've. Ah. Was Jason Lee, was he in that one too? Or did he drop out? Or he was in the yeah, third he one? Yeah, was, he was still Dave. And, you know, we had a bunch of scenes together. And, uh, yeah. um, and look, I did. I was professional and I did what I do. And I tried to make it as good as possible. I tried to add things. And. I don't know. I don't know what, uh, I'm not sure what their issue was. They never were very forthcoming about it. Uh, I, yeah, I have no idea. But then they withheld a bonus from me. Oh, stop. Now we're getting to, now I'm angry. Yeah. They, no. Yeah. They withhold the bonus that I was supposed to get because, uh, contractually there was some language in there where I uh, did something where I quote unquote disparaged the movie. Um, <laughs> And uh, yeah, they're they're just they're. Uh, it was strange. It was very odd. And 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 it's the only only experience I've had like that. I've never ever. Yeah, you've been in a million things. You've never. Yeah, no. you're like beloved. It's yeah, that's amazing. Um, real quick before we wrap, what do you got going on now besides the tour? What else is shaking? And is there where else can we find you? I mean, as I said, the tour is going to be uh, that's that's taken up most of my time. Um, and if you want to see the upcoming dates, again, we're going through October, but uh, it, just go to officialdavidcross.com. That'll have all the dates uh, coming up. A couple places we're hitting again because they sold out really quickly. Good. And, uh, and the, the set has kind of evolved since I was there. So, like, I'm, I'm in Denver yeah. A week from today, and uh, the day after Memorial Day, you'll be in yes. Denver, and that and that is go. the second time I'm in Denver, and uh, we've been doing. I'm going back to Chicago, and um, so you can take a look on there, and uh, and also Europe uh, as well. Any movies? Uh, no. Oh yes. What What am I talking about? I just went to the screening last night. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm out of it. I'm very tired. What's the film? Um, you hurt my feelings, and it's really okay. good. It was. Uh, uh, that was the first time I'd seen it, and it was really fun to shoot. I enjoyed it a lot. It was it was cool, and my wife and I play a couple in therapies in a, in a awesome. in a my real wife and I, Amber Tamblin, play a couple that are in therapy, couples therapy with this guy uh, played by Tobias Menzies. We're just we're I'm you know we're uh, supporting cast. It's really Julie yeah. Louis Dreyfus and Tobias Menzies, and it's a Nicole Holub Center film, and it's it's really good. It's really good. I enjoyed it. Awesome, that's cool. And then I'm uh, going to be on Umbrella Academy season four. Super great experience. Really great set. Really fun character to play, and just what a treat and an honor to be a part of that show and and that experience. So they were great and. Uh, and then also I'll be in Justified Primeval, which I don't know when that will be coming out, but okay. I believe it's coming out shortly. And 
that's what I got in the pipeline ready to come out. And I'll, again, I'll be touring. I'm taking the summer off, uh, and but I'll be I'm on the road until July, and then I will be back out in September. Great. Dude, you're awesome. I, I, I so appreciate you taking the time. I know it's the first time we're meeting. It's always awkward. Like, hey, good to meet you. We're going live on a podcast and an intimate thing about you. But I appreciate you so much for taking the time, and I hope you enjoyed it, too. I did. I did very much. And uh, let's go watch a Falcons-Saints game together. Yes, we will. We'll go watch Falcons-Saints. Uh, their new coach, Arthur Smith, I don't know if you've ever, if you're a great dude, smart guy, and they drafted a running back, eighth overall, this guy, yeah. B. John Robinson, who I, he might be the best running back to enter the league since, like, Saquon Barkley. So I, I feel very good about the Falcons, but I always do in May. So that's my feeling of confidence for you. Always in May. All right, guys. Thank you so much. David Cross is funny. Aaron, I, this is the goal of the podcast. We're going to get you the Arthur Smith interview you're craving. We're going to get you the, you know, the offensive line coach of the, of the Saints someday. But I also want to bring on guys that I love who have entertained me for years. David Cross is hilarious in Arrested Development. He was downplaying it almost there. And yet, I think that just scratches the surface. Um, you Hurt My Feelings movie he was talking about, which he was like, yeah, Julia Louis-Dreyfus is the star. That's a major star. That opens May 26th. Justified City Primeval airs July 18th. And then he's on tour. Tuesday, the day after Memorial Day, he's in Denver, um, where he said he's been sold out. But Aaron, David Cross, cool as hell. Yeah, I loved it. I also love, uh, as an f- actor from Arrested Development, he's a Falcons fan, and uh, I think Falcons... This is, I'm pushing this word play a little too hard, but I think Falcons might think their offense is in a state of arrested development. And there we go. We tied it in perfectly. We That's why it. I love you. I don't even know what the state of arrested development would be, <laughs> and yet it, it works. Um, guys, till next week. We've got more of these kind of guests that are um, comedians, actors, entertainers. We're proactively seeking them out. Like this is the off season, and I'm bringing on guys that and gals. Uh, that I think are interesting. And I don't know if you're getting that (laughs) Chipmunks 3 chipwreck story anywhere else, but I'll take it. Unbelievable behind the curtain, David Cross. Nowhere else in in podcasting are you going to hear about Thursday night flex scheduling right into um, the... the, Mr. Show. Mr. Show. I was going to say chipwreck. Yeah, Um, chipwreck. (laughs) Carnival Cruise Lines, if you want to be a sponsor. We're (laughs) open and amenable to it if you want to be, just so it is. Uh, Until next week, guys. My name is Peter Schrager. This is Aaron Wong Kaufman. Our guest was David Cross, the incredible comedian and actor. Jason English is here. Back in LA, we got Matt Schneider, Jason Kleinman, and Meredith Batten, who they all run the show uh, and all the stuff that you're seeing on digital. But gosh, couldn't be happier with today's episode. We got more to come. Thanks for listening. The Season with Peter Schrager is a production of the NFL in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.